I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a podcast about making work work. You'll learn about leadership, career growth, and how to navigate those weird work challenges. I run a HR consulting business called Boldside, where I help leaders build epic team cultures. If you lead a team or run a business and you think I can help, let's connect on LinkedIn. My name is Shelley Johnson. It's time to get to work. Today on the show, we'll be digging in to a big question. Can money buy happiness? I want you to be in a career and a job that makes you happy. But to do that, we have to understand happiness and the psychology behind it. But also I want you to understand the link between money and happiness. So I've got Kate Campbell joining me to answer this massive question. Let me tell you a bit about Kate. Kate Campbell is a financial educator who loves talking to anyone who'll listen about one of the most taboo topics, money. You can find her doing everything from writing articles on personal finance to creating free online courses and running Rask's online community and trying her hand at social media. Pretty much anything to do with personal finance, Kate is involved. She's also created the 100% free Rask Fire career and automation courses. She hosts one of Australia's top ranking finance podcasts, the Australian Finance Podcast, which attracts 80,000 listeners a month. And in 2023, she published her first ever book, Buying Happiness, Learning to Invest Your Time and Money Better. So she's joining us. We're going to answer this big question, or well, she is, and I'm going to ask her a stack of questions. Let's get into it. Kate Campbell, welcome to the show. Charlotte, it's great to be here. And we're in person in Melbourne right now recording together. It is very exciting. I love doing episodes in person. Energy is very different and it's so great to chat to you again. We've talked so many times and I love everything that you're doing in the money space. And money is this funny thing, right? Because it matters so much, but sometimes we're, we're not all that great at talking about it. And one of the big things when it comes to money is this idea of can money buy happiness? And the cool thing with that big, big question is you've just recently written a book on it. Yes. Well, we all know that we can't just walk into Woolies and buy happiness off the shelf, but there's a lot of things we can do to use money to increase our happiness levels. I think most of us would agree that money gives us a baseline, like money helps us pay for a roof over our head and energy and water and all of those things. But we can also think about how we use our money slightly differently. So one way I add happiness to my life is I use some of my money to put steps in to prepare for my future. So that looks like investing and investing in my career. That might cost money sometimes. Uh, It looks like sorting out my superannuation. That is something that really makes me happy. But there's also things we can do for immediate happiness boosts with our money as well, which hopefully we can jump into in today's episode. I think we absolutely will. I want to open with this big question and it is big. And so I do apologize. I love opening with something really um, complex. So (laughs) let's just go there. Kate, how would you define happiness? 
For me, happiness is a feeling of satisfaction and contentment and really knowing that I can enjoy the process. I said to my friend the other day, if I stop enjoying just having a cup of tea in the morning, because I love making, getting a proper teapot and loose leaf tea and the whole process there. If I stop enjoying the process of making tea and having a cup of tea, something so simple that doesn't cost any money, then that's probably a good sign that something's wrong in my life and I'm not super happy right now. But for me, it's just being able to enjoy the process and not wait until I hit my goals mm-hmm. because I've always been someone that loves writing goals for everything, <laughs> like <laughs> career, money, life. And it's easy to get into that trap that you're not happy until you hit that goal. Mm. And we've all been there. We know that goalpost can keep moving and keep moving. We want the next promotion. We want the next pay rise. We want yeah. the next net worth number that we hit. But if you can find a way to enjoy that process in the meantime and really, really get involved in that, that for me is happiness. I love what you're saying. I'm just imagining you making tea in the morning and there's something really mindful about that, like the process of being present in the moment and the mindfulness that comes from that. And I think a lot of us, and I so do this, like the goalposts keep getting further and further away. I'm like, I will be happy when. Yes. I will be happy when I land that job. I'll be happy when I hit six figures. I'll be happy when whatever happens. And it just it gets extended and extended and extended. And I think that concept of what is contentment and being present in your life really look like, because there's such a link between happiness and being present. For me, one of my friends talks about this idea of micro joys. And I think about your tea routine and, and think that's a micro joy. Like it's like a small thing that brings you daily joy. Yeah. And one of the cool things you can do is just write a list of really low cost happiness boosting activities, thinking about all those things you do in a day, a week, a month that add happiness that don't really cost a lot. And I, so I have a list on my notes app in my phone of just all those small things. Like it might be calling up a friend and going for a walk or having a cup of tea or reading a book or going to the library, just those small things. And then if I feel like I need a little happiness boost, I can just look at that list and do one of those things. That's really interesting as well, thinking about those things that you just listed off, because a lot of those are internal kind of motivators. So going for a walk or reading a book, whereas a lot of what I hear in my own like self-talk, but also hear from other people is the idea of like external happiness things. I'm not saying this right. Go with me on it. External <laughs> happiness things, like that's not a technical term. But yes. Money, fame, satisfaction, yeah, all, that, that, all stuff. that stuff. And we look at that and go, well, that matters. Like, but really when you hit that number, so for me, like money, uh, as I've grown my business, I've been, I've had a new revenue goal, a new revenue target. And each time I hit it, I'm like, oh, like it doesn't like really bring me joy. It's like, oh yeah, I hit the milestone. Oh, now I've got a big new milestone. (laughs) As opposed to that going for a walk or having, going out for a long lunch with my husband, like those things bring me joy because they're usually focused on a relationship or like, Mm. and I wonder what's your kind of take about why do we gravitate towards external things rather than thinking about those internal like micro joys that make us happy? 
We're very goal-setting focused people and we're growth focused. And so those external things are more easy to measure and to capture. So I could say my goal is a thousand social media followers or a thousand dollars invested, or I want to get a promotion. And you can measure that. You can go, oh, I've ticked that off or I haven't ticked that off. But things like having a really good relationship with my husband, well, that's a harder one to measure. And if you put that on your goals list, well, it's hard to know if you can tick that off this year. And so we often focus our goals and what we think makes us happier on things like fame and success and money. But it's actually the quality of our relationships that adds the most happiness to our lives. There was a really interesting study that's been going for over 80 years by Harvard University on human development. And they looked at people for the last 80 years and their children and their grandchildren. And they found like the biggest impact for people's happiness and well-being long-term was the quality of their relationships. People that you can call in good times and bad times, people that are going to show up for you. And we often don't put that as a goal. So I just think back to all the years in the past that I've set goals and I've gone, okay, I want to finish this degree and I want to learn this in my job. I want to have invested $10,000. None of these goals were relationships. They weren't to do with people. They were very much about me and what Mm -hmm. I wanted. But then when I think about what makes me happiest when I think about the past year, it's doing the thing with the friends and family. And sometimes that involves money, like it might be a holiday. And so there's a cost involved with that. But it's usually the people. And you could have done something a much lower cost with those same people and just got the same amount of happiness. That's a really good distinction about the goals. And I'm just wondering, like, because I think it's really important that we have those career goals that we're aiming for because it helps us be accountable to achieving things that we really want. But do you have, if I think about goals, and this is a really good time of year to think about setting goals for yourself at the beginning of, of the year, you might be thinking, okay, what goals do I want to achieve in my career and have some of those big ones of getting a promotion? But Kate, would you recommend that people have like happiness goals of things that they do or is it more about the habits? I have started putting in more things about those relationships and then how I've broken that down is, well, am I seeing my family for dinner once a month? And so I've put different things in to make sure it still happens because it's easy to go six months and go, oh, I haven't seen that friend for ages. And then months can go by before you catch up. So I've turned those big things that I know add value to me long-term. So sometimes they're not immediate. You might not enjoy a particular family gathering at the time, (laughs) but it's sort of that showing up. And those things long-term build that sustainable relationship. And so I turn that quality relationships because that's very vague what that looks like. And I've turned it into smaller micro steps of, okay, every month I want to have dinner with my family. And each year I'm going to do a new activity or a club to try and meet new people because making friends as an adult is really hard. And so unless you sort of make time for that and prioritize that, it often doesn't happen. That's a really good point around making time. And I think it speaks to this idea. I read this article, I can't remember where, around I guess the epidemic of loneliness and the link between feeling lonely and the absence of happiness in our lives. And so I think that idea of the things that make us most happy are the relationships that we have. And I think about people at work and when they're struggling the most is often when the relationships at work are conflicted or there's a toxic culture that they're in, which is all about relationships, right? When there's toxicity at work, Usually there's a lot of broken relationships with leadership, with teams, there's not trust. 
So that's when we're the most unhappy. And you could be getting paid huge dollars. But if the relationships you have with the people that you work with are toxic, no amount of money is going to improve that. Yeah. I went to a talk by Melbourne Uni. They've done a lot of study on loneliness the other day and they had a few different speakers and they were saying that one in three Australians are lonely on a weekly basis. And so we spend so much time in our career. And I think we've talked about this on my podcast before, Shell, of finding really good people to work with and working in a company with a really good culture because you're spending a lot of time with those people. And if it's a place that's going to make you feel more alone and more isolated and less capable, then do you want to spend all day there? Exactly. That's so spot on. Gallup uh, do this engagement survey and it's called the Q12 engagement survey. And one of the questions that they ask is, do you have a best friend at work? And it always kind of causes conversation every time that survey gets administered. They're like, what does that mean? Like, Do work I work for friends? Yeah. <laughs> and, and do I have a best friend at work? Do I need a best friend at work? The interesting thing with their research was that having a best friend at work increased people's engagement Mm. by huge amounts, feeling like I have someone I can confide in, I have a high trust, healthy relationship with someone at work is so important for your overall engagement and happiness at work. Now, interestingly, we talk about this idea and you would have heard it it lots of different places on social media of having a work bestie. Like, I think everyone needs a work bestie. It's yeah, that you want someone you're excited to go to work to see. I know. And when they go and leave, you're like, oh, my gosh, how will I survive this place without you? And I've had some amazing, like, work besties in my time. And I think those people can get you through really – because work is challenging and we have difficult times. But those people, if you have one of those people at work – you kind of get through whatever because you're like, I've got my person here. We can debrief how weird this workplace is together because the workplaces are weird. But if you don't have that relationship and you are isolated and it's a political kind of environment where there's lots of kind of bureaucracy and like weird behaviours, I think that can be a real detractor from people's overall happiness. Yeah. It's really interesting. When I got my first office job, I didn't even think about who am I working with? I just was like, oh, it's a job. That's great. I'm going to work there. I didn't think about the the culture and the dynamics and who I'd be spending all day sitting next to and hearing their conversations and their points of view. And that's something that now that I've worked in a few different places, that is something I would look for going forwards is how can I, maybe I can send some messages to people to try and sort of gain a, a glimpse of the culture or I can read reviews online or I can make sure I have a chance to go and meet the team in the office before I take the job because I have realised how important it is to be surrounded by good people that make you feel better. And there was this line in Ted Lasso, it was about relationships and not work relationships, but it was like, do they make you greater? And do they make you a better person and amplify what is Mm. good in you and not detract from that? Is the workplace going to make you a better version of yourself and a happier version of yourself? Or is it going to take away because it's a toxic relationship? Is it going to take away your confidence? Is it going to take away your abilities? That is a really good question to ask. I would encourage you to write that down. Is this workplace and are the relationships that I have in this workplace making me a better person? And the flip question to that is, are you doing that? for people that you work with. Because often we think about, well, who's doing that for me? We don't often think about how can I do that for someone? Yeah. And one of the things, there's a survey I always talk about, bang on about, everyone's probably like rolling their eyes, but 
It is good. The Strengths Finder survey by Gallup. But I reckon the coolest thing when people are, I sound like such a geriatric millennial <laughs> saying the coolest thing, but it is cool. <laughs> Go with me. The best thing you can do at work is become a walking, talking Strengths Finder for other people. Mm. So Kate, if we were working together, I would be wanting to call out the strengths in you and verbalise them. So, so going, hey, Kate, the thing that I love, you ask, and this is so true, but you ask really thoughtful, considered questions and you're a great active listener. And that is true of who you are. And I want to call that out as a strength in you because when you do that for people, you build healthier, high trust relationships, but you also uplift and like you said so beautifully, amplify the thing that makes someone great. Mm. And by doing that, you're creating a healthier work environment. So I want to encourage you, check and ask yourself that question Kate said, is is this workplace making me a better person? Am I making the people around me better and calling out the things that make them great? Because I think there's so many, not even micro joys, but just like general happiness boosts in that. Yeah, because there's something so powerful of going into the office and seeing people that you know are going to make you happier and you can be the people to make them happier as well because then you're, I mean, we've all got days that we're not excited to go to work and, oh, it's Monday, but we want to overall to enjoy going to that workplace because especially because of the people and the culture and that environment, because that impacts who we are and what energy we take home as well, because maybe we can't show up as well for our partner and our kids and to our friends on the weekend if we're getting completely drained during the week at work, because it's really, it's a hard balance and we never really can master it because there's always different priorities. And I mean, when it comes to money, there's always different things you want to do with it. And it's this constant trade-off between enjoying today and putting money aside for the future. And there's always going to be priorities. So you have to kind of figure out, well, what's it most important right now? And how can I still provide for my future, but also enjoy the moment. And it's very hard and it's a big source of tension for people because it's hard to find that balance because there's so many competing things in our lives. It's a really good point around the trade-off between enjoying the moment right now and then like thinking about your future because a lot of us are living in the future, like we're thinking about down the line and even far, far down the line, and we should, like we sh- people are thinking about retirement, thinking about where, where they want to be in terms of their financial position. And we need to give that thought and genuine hard consideration about what we want our future to look like. But we also want to be living in the moment. And I was reading something the other day actually on the My Millennial Money Facebook community. A person posted this question about their career and they're like, I'm in a job right now and I'm pretty, it was something to along the lines, I'm pretty miserable but the the money is really good, <laughs> but I am really not enjoying it. I can wait for three years until I hit long service leave and stay there and kind of stick it out in a toxic culture for three years, or I could get a lower paid job and be happier. What should I do? And I my initial thought was, holy crap, three years is a long time to be miserable. Yes. Like you could be getting paid 200K plus but you're miserable for three years just waiting to hit that milestone. So how do you navigate this, those kinds of decisions where 
okay, someone's in a high paying job, they're absolutely miserable versus getting a lower paid job but feeling happier and overall having more of a, a sense of well-being and contentment. It's often in these conversations people forget about this other important asset they have, which is their time. And the fact that your time is something you can't get back once you spend it. So if you're spending three years in a place where you're miserable, you've lost three years of wow. your life. And I, that's why the book was learn to invest your time and money better because time is so important as well. And I think we often forget about that as one of our assets that we have and that we get to use. And so thinking about, well, if I'm spending three years being miserable, what are the all the other things I could do in that time? And maybe I'm earning a bit less money, but I can boost my happiness in lots of other ways that don't cost that much money. So, but I get my three years back. And that's probably what I would say thinking about, well, what is that cost when it comes to my time of that three years? And what else could I do with that three years in my life? And maybe I earn less money, but I'm happier overall because I have more time to spend with friends and family. I have time to explore other interests and hobbies because a lot of us can get trapped in that high paying job that takes over our lives. And I've spoken to many people that are in their 60s and working in powerful, high-paying jobs, but they've got no hobbies. They barely have time to spend with friends and family and invest in those relationships that are going to be there for the next few decades mm -hmm. to come. So thinking about it's it's not a balance. I wouldn't say work-life balance because it's always sort of think, thinking about, well, what's the priority at the moment and what's the second priority and what's the third priority? But I would encourage you not to let relationships fall to the bottom. I think it needs health and relationships really need to stay high up on your priority list at any given time because health's something that we want to be able to, we might have all this money when we're 60, but if we don't have our health to enjoy all those experiences, well, we could have used maybe our decades before that a bit differently. So thinking about, well, how am I investing in my health? How am I investing in my relationships? And how am I using my time on things that are important to me? I love that example of time as an asset because when you're, I was just thinking about that question and I think I responded to that person who asked it, just saying three years is a long time to be miserable. <laughs> it was just, that's all I wrote. Yeah. But your point is so much better to be like, well, it's not the, the either or, either you have a high paying job or a lower paying job and you're more happy. You, you're actually investing your time. And are you comfortable with that investment? Is there a good return on that investment? Because the other angle of this, and this is what I see for a lot of people, they can be in paid huge dollars, be absolutely miserable in their job and burnout. Mm. And burnout is commonly linked to those times where we feel like we don't have value, that we're not recognised, we're not valued, but we're working our butt off to do a particular thing. We're in a toxic environment. Now, if you do go through burnout, and I've seen people do this where they end up needing months off work, well, they got paid well, but then they had no income for a period of time because, as you said, the health wasn't the priority. So their health became less of a priority and the job became more of a priority. I think that's a really, I would go as far to say it's a dangerous spot to put yourself in because your career is a long game. 
Like you're going to be working for a long time, unfortunately, like for most of us. So you want to enjoy it. Like I think going back to what you said up front, Kate, we want to enjoy the process of work. And I think work when we're at our best is enjoyable. It is life-giving and fun and engaging. Now, not all the time, but a good chunk of it should feel like, hey, this energizes me. And for anyone who is in the job and they're just like, I am absolutely miserable. My encouragement to you would be do some deep reflection and do this kind of time audit of going, where am I spending my time? I cannot get that back. Am I comfortable Mm. with that investment? And sometimes we do deem that investing our time is something we want to do. So for for example, I've been doing a a Juris Doctor, a post-grad law course, and it's taking me five years to finish it because I've been doing it part-time on the weekends. And for me, I I enjoy learning. I enjoy what I'm doing. I enjoy who I'm meeting. Yeah, sometimes it's hard and I'm like, why am I doing this to myself <laughs> when exams come up and I've got work and travel and things happening? But I've deemed that overall it's worth it to me. It's worth that investment of my time on my evenings and my weekends. And yes, sometimes it means I have to say no to things with friends, but on a whole, I'm really happy with my decision and I'm enjoying the process. So even though it's a five-year investment in my future, I'm happy with that trade-off. And I think it goes to one of your values. I'll I'll hazard a guess to say one of your values is probably learning. Mm. Like you are a learner. You've been doing this pod uh, with Australian Finance Podcast for a, a long time. How many? How long has it been? I think it's been five years. It's been a long time. <laughs> and you've learned, obviously, I can imagine you've learned huge amounts in yeah. that time. That creates joy for you. And so if you have this sense of alignment between where am I spending my time, does that align with my values, and do I get those micro joys from it, I can feel like that would bring so much happiness and sense of like validation to your life. Yeah. It's like, is there a purpose to this hard? Is it a good hard? Yeah. Or is it a bad hard that's making me miserable? I'm not enjoying my weekends. I'm just not enjoying my relationships because I'm just so burnt out. Yeah, that's a really good reframe as well around is the challenge something that's positive because challenge, McCrindle in their book Work Wellbeing talked about growth and challenge being linked to a sense of wellbeing and I think that's a really important distinction to make. I want to talk to you more and dig into this idea of the link between money and happiness and some of the common I guess, challenges I see people have when it comes to their pay, because a lot of people get fixated on pay. We're going to go to a quick break and when we come back, we're going to hit you with some more questions about money and happiness. If you want to grow in your career, I just wanted to remind you about our book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Glenn James and I have written this book to help you with any kind of career crisis, but also those things that you want, like getting a promotion, making more money, moving into a leadership role, or if it's time to quit your job. You can find our book wherever you get good books from or you can listen on the audiobook, sort your career out and make more money. Now let's get back to the show. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And, <laughs> and now I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> now we're back. So... One of the things I see people get caught up on, one of the most common questions we get on this podcast is around asking for a pay rise. And that makes sense, right? We all want to earn more money. But a friend of mine sent me this the other day. It's from Instagram. So I don't know how reputable the uh, research is, but let's just roll with it. Workers who stay loyal to their job are paid 50% less over their lifetime compared to those who switch jobs every two to three years. And the reference cited is Forbes might be credible, might not be, but I reckon there is probably truth to that argument that you increase your income quicker if you switch jobs more regularly. But here's the thing. Does that link to happiness? And I'd love you to talk to to our listeners about what is the link between money and pay and happiness? I think there's definitely something to the switching jobs. We had the economist from Seek come on the show last year and he definitely said it shows up in the data that people are going to get more money by switching than moving internally. So there's that. But I guess there's a lot of other things that come with switching and constantly looking for something else. So some people really like moving around and new challenges. Like I'm someone that went to a lot of different schools. I really liked meeting new people and things like that. But if you're someone that really wants like a long-term core group of people at work, well, maybe for you, moving around is not the right decision. And it's probably very much something you need to work out for yourself. Do you really like working in the same, like I've met teachers that have worked in the same school for 30 years and they love it. They're part of the furniture basically, but that does come with the trade-off that maybe you won't get as high of a salary because you're not switching. And so I think thinking about, well, what's most important to you? And you can get a lot of other things that aren't money from jobs. And maybe you really like the the training and development opportunities that are on offer to you and you love the culture and you love the people you're working with. And so for you, you go, well, I'm not going to get as much money if I stay in this job, but it adds to my happiness and it really is part of who I am. And I love working here. But if you are looking to advance your career, because that's something that's really important to you, you want to progress on this path, you want to jump up the ladder, and that's something that you want that challenge, then maybe switching more often is good for you as well. But I think it's important not just to to switch just for the money. I think it's important to switch for the money and something else. Yes. And I think that something else goes to what we were talking about before of the internal motivator. So we might get that the money is probably the byproduct, which is awesome. And if your priority for you in your life right now is I want to buy my first home, well, then maybe that's the driver of like, okay, well, I need to increase my income in order to save for my first home. So that's the driver. Rather than simply focusing on what we were talking about before of those external motivators that sometimes we hope bring us that sense of happiness, but in reality, they don't always contribute to our overall well-being and happiness. It's that interesting exercise if you think about at a funeral and on your tombstone, people don't write they were a director at Deloitte or they had a $500,000 share portfolio or they owned 
three investment properties or they had 50,000 social media followers, they think about those more internal things. Like they were a really good parent. They were a great friend. They supported me. They were so generous. They left a legacy in their community. So it's, you've got to think about both of these things of those relationship and community side of things, but also most of us do have some sort of financial goals. We do want to be able to provide for ourselves and our family and have a safe and secure retirement. So you've got to think about both. And you can't really do one at the expense of the other because life's expensive. There's things, there's costs involved. We can't just be fully altruistic and give it all away. But how can you find some sort of, even if it's just maybe this year, 80% of your focus is going on the career ladder, the money focus, and maybe 20% is on those other more internal things. And then over time, you shift it depending on what's going on. So for me in my 20s, having no attachments, I can do a lot of that stuff. I can study more, I can travel, I can be more self-centered, and I can really invest in my future financially. But then that's probably going to change as I get older and I have different things on my plate. That's a really good call out about the tombstone reminder of And Ryan Holiday, who I love his work on stoicism, he talks heaps about remember you'll die. And it's such a morbid thought. But But it's an exciting one as well because (laughs) you're reminded (laughs) that life is really short and you only get one (laughs) shot at it. So you've got to think about how you're using your time now and in the future. I love how you're like, this is exciting. It's like most of us are like, oh. But you're like, yes, this is like liberating because it goes to your point before that you so eloquently talked through of time is the one asset you don't get back. So if you think about the tombstone, you think no one's going to write director of Deloitte. Um, I don't know why that came to me. I like it. I like it. But you will write about your relationships. So thinking that through and weighing that up, I want to ask you to kind of round out this conversation, a couple more things around habits, because I think we've spoken a bit about, you need to work out your priorities. Like you need to measure up, okay, what is the priority for me right now in terms of what matters and those kind of relationships and your health, where do they sit in your priority list for 2024? It's a really good thing to think through at the beginning of the year. But I think the power of habits is really important when it comes to this idea of how do we buy happiness? How do we create this sense of happiness in our career? Are there certain money habits that you've seen that people have that detract from their overall happiness in life? A big one is just being not intentional on what you're spending your money on and your time on. And one way you can counteract that is looking through your spending on your bank account for the last month and also looking through your calendar on the last month and thinking, well, what are the things that took away from my happiness? What are the things that added to my happiness? And how can I make a slight shift this month? So there's more on the happiness side of the equation. So we spend money on lots of different things and we don't get joy and value from all those things. Sure, there's some fixed things, like we've got to pay for water and groceries, but some of those things we can spend slightly different amounts on. And one exercise that is helpful is writing out the 10 categories you spent the most money on and writing out the 10 things that bring you the most happiness to spend money on and seeing, well, how can you align those columns slightly closer together? And so for you, you might not really 
care for your housing situation. So you might just be, I just need a bed. So you might be fine being in a share house. You love being out and about and you really want to spend more money on experiences with friends. And so thinking about, well, can I reduce money on living costs slightly so I can spend more money on those experiences? So you're still spending overall the same amount, but you're switching out the proportions you spend on different category. But if you're someone that absolutely loves their own space and uh, do not want anyone in your place, <laughs> then maybe you spend a bit more money there, but you might have to find another category to spend less on. And so you're still playing with the same pile of money, but you're adjusting where it goes. That's so helpful. I am thinking about my own, if I was, <laughs> if I was, <laughs> I got a giggles because I'm imagining my, I'm a spender. Yeah. So the confession. Okay, so that's clear. If I was to do that activity, when I'm stressed, <laughs> my spending goes goes weird because I think what I do as a stress management activity and just pretend to be a psychologist for a moment, I do retail therapy mm. and I really love it. And I, 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 I often find myself buying shoes. Shoes are a big black thing for me and and clothes. But if I was to audit it, it gives me a dopamine hit. So I feel like I actually use it as stress management. <laughs> but I think it's like a coping mechanism. How do you differentiate between what makes you happy and what's like a dopamine hit that doesn't last? That's why it's usually those experiences that bring us more happiness long term because a lot of the spending on material items, though sometimes material items can be both, it brings us that instant hit of happiness but it doesn't really last. So I don't know if maybe you look at the clothes one year later and those shoes and you still get happy. I don't know. You might. I can't think of an example of that. <laughs> I just want more. Actually, maybe that's the thing. It's like the it's like the monster. It's like the more monster. Mm. And it kind of feeds this like dopamine requirement or addiction to like I need more of that but it doesn't have the lasting thing. Yeah, because the interesting thing about experiences, we get a few different hits of happiness. So firstly, if you book an experience that's in a week or a month's time, you get to anticipate that experience, which adds to your happiness level. Then you get the experience itself, which if it's a good experience and hopefully it's with someone, not just yourself, then you're building in that relationship aspect. So you get to enjoy the experience and then you get to reflect on that experience in a month's time and go, oh, remember when we did that? How fun was that activity? And you get a happiness hit from just remembering that. So maybe next time you need some retail therapy, you could think about, well, what's an experience or could I turn this into something with a friend instead? That's a really good call out. And and the other thing is like, thinking about, I love that breakdown of like multiple hits of happiness over a lasting thing. So working out what are the experiences you want to have, how experiences have a stronger link to happiness and making sure you're including some kind of relationship in that. Yeah. And if you can anticipate. So one of the challenges, if anyone listening wants to try this for the year, you might not have that much in your calendar for 2024 right now, given it's the start of the year. But I challenge you to put five things into your calendar that are an experience that involves someone else and that are at least a week in the future. So you get to experience anticipation, you get to work on building your relationships and you get a fun experience that you can talk about in years to come. And it doesn't need to be super expensive. You could send out save the dates for your birthday and have a dinner party right now. You could book in a monthly recurring walk with a friend who lives nearby. You could book in a 
pottery class with a friend in six months' time, and you've got that to look forward to, but five things in your calendar that are experiences that involve someone else. I'm going to do that. After this podcast, I'm going to go away and put five things in the calendar because I think that of the anticipation of I've scheduled some of those experiences with people is so simple, but I can feel already I'm like excited to be like, yeah, I'm going to lock those things in with those really important people that I'd love to spend more time with that in 2023, I didn't get to see as much as I would have liked. So I'm going to be intentional now about how I create space for that. Yeah. And then you've got things to look forward to and think about. I mean, I was speaking to one friend who, when they moved to Melbourne and didn't know anyone, they would finish the work week and they would almost be really unhappy for the weekend because they didn't have anything in their calendar because they didn't know anyone yet. They hadn't sort of gotten out there. And so the weekend was almost an unexciting prospect because suddenly there would be complete silence and the absence. So thinking about, well, how can I start putting things in that I can look forward to? We don't need to pack out our weekends because I know we love rest, but even something that's a really helpful strategy if you're newer to a place or wanting to make friends is booking in an activity that's a recurring thing every week or every fortnight or every month, because that's how you can develop those relationships and you have a reason to meet. So for me, that's been a running group and doing improv classes because it's a reason to meet up with the same people on a weekly basis and you slowly get to build friendships that way and you've got an activity to look forward to. I love it so much. I'm thinking about you doing improv and thinking that is the best thing ever. (laughs) It's really hard, but I I think if you want an activity to just push you out of your shell that's super silly. And as adults, we don't often get the opportunity to be silly and funny and goofy. And that is one place you can, and it's celebrated. And do you know what? Just to close out this conversation, I think that's a really interesting point about being silly. I reckon there's this really strong link between play and happiness. I haven't explored that one myself, but it definitely makes me happy. So anecdotally, I feel so happy going and I feel really happy afterwards. And that buzz sort of lasts all weekends. So finding something that really lights you up that you can do on a regular basis. Like when we were in primary school, we all had different activities that we do every week after school. Can you add some of those into your life? And for a lot of people, it might be a sports team, Mm. like even just doing Um, recreational netball or something like that on the weekends, like just finding something. And um, we're talking about habits. Another one is we get a happiness hit when we spend money on other people. Uh, And the interesting thing is the coffee always gets demonized in the world of personal finance. Everyone's like, cut out the coffee and you can buy a house, which we know just doesn't work like that. The math does not work on that. No, the math does not (laughs) compute. But when I... For the book, when I surveyed our community, I think we got over 300 responses of the small things that make them the happiest in their week. And one of the things that came up time and time again was going for a walk with my friend and getting a coffee, buying a coffee machine, making a coffee with my partner in the morning at home, anything to do with coffee or a beverage, because it's not really about the drink, the spending money on the drink. Sure, we could make it at home, but it's usually about that fact that it involves another person. It's an escape from the office and you get to chat to one of your colleagues. It's a walk with a friend on the weekend. It's a coffee of your partner in the morning. It's what that coffee represents really. And so that adds a lot of happiness. So find those small things that add value to your life and figure out how can I put more of that into my week? And how can I do that for other people? Mm. How can I think to go, hey, I've brought this person there favorite coffee in the morning and being intentional with that because 
And I think that's called the helper's high where you get a high from doing something generous to someone else. And I think we could all use that and know that, you know what, the coffee, cutting out your coffee order of a morning isn't going to help with that house deposit. <laughs> Unfortunately, if only it could. Yeah. And it's sort of that reciprocal agreement that you shout this time. That means we're going to do it again. Yeah. That's it. I love it. Hey, Kate, I just want to say thank you so much. Your book, Buying Happiness, where can people get it? You can get it on Amazon, Booktopia, Dimmix, or even order it in your local library if you want to save a little bit of money. It all helps. So I know we haven't talked that much about careers today, Shell, but I think if you're a happy person overall and you're enjoying the process, you're spending time on your relationships and your health, then you're going to show up better to work anyway. Absolutely. Kate, how do people connect with you? You can catch me on Instagram at Kate Campbell AUS or you can find me on the Australian Finance Podcast. Amazing. Well, hey, we'll put links into the show notes for all things Kate Campbell and the Australian Finance Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Michelle. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money, My Millennial Daily, and Retire Right. Find these wherever you get your podcasts. 